Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months, you've heard all about the Game Time app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, all types of shows. Just take a look at it right now around the New York City area. You obviously have shows. You have professional bull riding coming to Madison Square Garden early in the year. And on New Year's Day, the Knicks are playing. You can get tickets to that game as well, very last minute. And now, Game Time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or app store click on the my ticket section of the app create an account then under the billing section use the redeem code the athletic once again that's the athletic all one word for ten dollars off your first purchase that's free money people credit is only available for the first 1,000 people who redeem that code and it expires at the end of the year and you are running out of time because it is new year's eve as we record this that's december 31st 2019 so make moves quick and score last minute tickets person, every player that we bring in this building, they're going to be assessed on their fit uh, within our culture and their ability to help us achieve our ultimate goal, which is win a Super Bowl. That was Joe Douglas talking to the media this afternoon from One Jets Drive. This is the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes putting a bow on the 2019 season that finishes up with the Jets going 7-9, and nine, which sounds a heck of a lot better than where they were at at midseason, but the second half of the slate was was pretty easy, too. A lot to get to here. We're going to talk about, obviously, the, the kind of mild bell controversy that came out of the press conferences the last two days. Talk about the season as a whole and, and what to look forward to going forward. Um, Douglas's press conference, for the most part, Connor, we'll just start here. It was, it was pretty much what you expect to hear, you know, GM speak, blah, blah, wasn't as exciting as the uh, cross-town press cross town press conference of Dave Gettleman with the Giants, um, and that's probably a good thing. Connor actually on his way home from the facility in the car, so the wonders of technology we're doing this podcast. So, Connor, just, you know, thoughts overall from Joe Douglas summing up the season, then we'll get kind of more into the minutia. Yeah, so if you if you hear me drop any MFs and, and all that stuff, it's just it's just road rage. So don't so don't uh, don't be alarmed or anything like that. I'm just a little worked up by the uh, the people that are on the way down here on 287 and eventually the Parkway and stuff like that. But uh, no, I mean honestly, it was it was pretty uneventful of a press conference. I mean I don't think that that Douglas went and made any headlines. Obviously, it was a little uh, less testy than than Connie, as you made reference to the one across the town there with the giants. But that's because, you know, when you're talking about Dave Gettleman, you have a guy that a lot of people don't believe should have kept his job, a guy that, that has kind of been hiding from the media, uh, for the better part of this season. And that's not really the case with Joe Douglas. He's a guy that is from the, the school of Ozzie Newsom. He's a guy that has learned underneath Howie Roseman and underneath those two schools of teaching, 
there is no one on a roster outside of a franchise quarterback that is untouchable. So every player has a price. And if you're willing to pay that price, he, he's willing to deal that player. And, and the one thing that he did stress, though, specifically about Jamal Adams is that this is not something where any trade conversation with Jamal Adams ever became intense or, as Joe Douglas said, serious. It never reached the point where there were legitimate offers that were that were put on the table that the Jets would have actually considered taking. So uh, we're going to see. Maybe it's an eventful offseason. I, I think that one of the things I liked what he said about the compensatory pick formula, that he's not going to go into too much detail about that. Uh, he's not going to go crazy over the comp pick formula in terms of, uh, you know, this is something that he's going to base the building of the roster around that. He's not going to sign this guy because he wants that third or he wants that fourth. He realizes there are holes on this Jets roster. Offensive line is one of them. Secondary is one. Receiver is another. And he's going to do what he can to, to build the roster and make it good and make it decent and make this team a playoff contender. Uh, so, so honestly, I thought it was it was overall a, a successful press conference, probably successful, like I said, because it wasn't all that eventful. Yeah, and probably more successful than the season as a whole. Now, they've obviously, um, between Gase on Monday and Douglas on Tuesday, um, they're pushing the fact that, hey, this team finished up 6-2 and two in the second half of the season to go 7-9. and nine. Now, the schedule was a lot easier in the second half, and most of those games are games that the Jets really probably should have won. Um, the halfway point, the season was a disaster. They were 1-7. and seven. Obviously, you had the mono. You had all the injuries throughout the season. So there's a whole lot of what-ifs, and maybe this team could have been better, and things could have broken a different way. Um, that said, how much credit are you willing to give the Jets for the 6-2 and two finish, considering everything that goes into it with the schedule and everything? Dude, I, you know, everyone says, like, the, the Jets should have beaten these teams, you know, teams they should have won. I, I think that, that a lot of the, the talk that goes in, I mean, look, th- this team was as beat up and banged up as any I have ever covered since I've been on this beat. I mean, I know they got Sam Darnold back, and that was a big piece, but they started 11 different offensive linemen and nine different offensive line combinations. By the end of the year, they had guys like Terrell Basham and Arthur Marlette and James Burgess, and Foley Fatukasi, and guys that were practice squad, roster bubble players, guys who this team never expected to play any form of meaningful snaps outside of special teams, were playing legitimate roles and having success. And I think that when you say, oh, the Jets should have beaten this team, oh, the Jets should have taken on this team, it's kind of underselling the fact that, that what this coaching staff, probably more so Greg Williams on defense because the offense did struggle throughout, but the fact that this team was able to scheme and find ways to win games in spite of the hand they were belt, uh, dealt. So, yeah, the Jets didn't play the cream of the crop. It's not like they beat the Baltimore Ravens, who they lost to. It's not like they took down the New Orleans Saints. It's not like they beat these cream of the crop opponents. But still, they found ways to win games, despite the fact that they were a team that was decimated by injuries, a team that was decimated by an overall lack of talent. And they still found ways to pull out these victories and still find ways to win games. So you can criticize the fact that, that yeah, you know, they should have won these They should have won these games. Yeah, maybe if they were at full strength, but the Jets were not at full strength. They were nowhere near full strength and they still found ways to win games. So the fact that they went six and two to close out the year, that's an accomplishment. I mean, that's something that they can legitimately hang their hat on. Now, I know that Joe Douglas said today that he believes it's going to be a springboard that will propel them into success in 2020 and potentially a playoff berth. That's yet to be seen. I, I don't know how much you can put into uh, late season success carrying over from one season to another, especially when you have a team like the Jets that's going to have so much roster turnover. They have something like 24, or 25 unrestricted free agents, and I think another 10 restricted and exclusive rights free agents. So 
there's a lot of players here that, that that played roles for the Jets this season that will not play roles for them next year because simply because they won't be around. But finishing six and two after a one and seven start, just the eighth team to do that in NFL history. I think that's a that's a legitimate that's a legitimate accomplishment. It's a feather in the cap of this coaching staff, which obviously is Brant Boyer on special teams, Adam Gase on offense, and and Greg Williams on defense. And and it's a sign that you know what? Maybe the Jets finally started to figure this thing out. Because honestly, man, like I said, years past, the Jets don't close teams out. The Jets don't close season outs. The Jets don't find ways to win these games. They find ways to lose them. And they found ways to win one possessions games. They found ways to squeak out wins and it was better than what it was in 16. It was better than what it was in 17. And it was better than it was in 18. And I don't know if it will carry over. The Jets seem to think that it will. It, it, it's kind of something where you just got to wait and see. But 6-2 and two is an accomplishment. As, as Douglas said, that was not luck. They didn't do that by luck. Uh, and I think it's a testament to these guys rallying together in the face of adversity and, and overcoming all those injuries to find ways to win games, no matter who they played. There is something to be said for keeping it all together too, because at one and seven, it's pretty easy for some players to to check out in one degree or another, and and not not necessarily. I don't want to say not bring it all, because these guys are professionals; they're playing hard. But from a team standpoint, doing the extra little thing on a play to to make sure your team gets a win when you're one and seven, it's it's harder to have that motivation. And they were able to keep it together to get to six and two. And while the offense, let's face it, was bad they finished uh last in the nfl in total yards it's the first time they've done pretty that much every since, uh, category yeah. since yes yeah, since 1995 with rich kotite was the and then you never want to bring up that name uh the last time no. this team was so bad offensively but defensively hey they finished in the top 10 number seven defense um and greg williams did it with you know duct tape and and some spit and and whatever it was without all those players they were able to do it and you would think that that defense with starters returning will be very good in the offense. You would think Darnold makes another step. There's reasons to not just listen to them saying optimistically this is going to be a springboard. You can actually look at the roster the way this season panned out and see that it could be a springboard. And maybe 2020 becomes the season that a lot of people were hoping 2019 would be where you get to 10 wins and maybe make a run at that wild card. Yeah, look, I mean, we 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 talked to to Gase in, in the last couple of days, obviously Douglas, and and they're they're doing a deep dive right now to to into their medical department, how they do things in terms of practices and stuff like that, to make sure that these injuries that they had this season don't reappear in 2020. And and what Douglas said was that he believes this was an anomaly. I mean, they're still doing their research, they're still seeing how they can improve things. They're still looking into, into ways that they can prevent these from happening again. But they believe that this was kind of just a, what the hell just happened, just the worst case of bad luck in the world for injuries. Because this really was like like nothing I've ever seen before and like few teams have, have ever dealt with. So they're confident that this will not appear again. And, and you said, man, I think you touched upon it. The MVP uh, of, of this Jets team was probably Greg Williams. I mean, when he was able to do – with that defense throughout the course of the year, with the exception of a blimp here or two, like the one against the, the Bengals where Andy Dalton found some success and, and obviously the Ravens and a couple other games here or there, he was not working with the pieces that he was expected to work with at the beginning of the year. I mean, when he took this job, he had a, an $85 million linebacker in C.J. Mosley to work with and another marquee free agent signing in Avery Williamson from the year before to anchor his defense. He had corners on the outside and Tremaine Johnson 
who this team w- was hoping would reinvent himself under Greg Williams, who we had so much success with with the Rams. And then Daryl Roberts, who they were hoping, you know, was was kind of going to find a, a, a really, really, honestly, just really find himself in his second year. They were hoping that all of these like pieces were going to come together and and just one after another, the defense lost guys. I mean, like I said, that that week, 15, 16, 17 depth chart, they had Neville Hewitt and James Burgess at inside linebacker. That's after losing Blake Cashman and Mosley and Avery Williamson and all these guys. I mean, Marcus May was the only player on defense that started every single game this year. And that's pretty crazy considering Marcus May was the guy that everyone thought was built of glass when this season you know, w- w- was beginning. Was He was the guy that couldn't stay healthy. He's the only one who played every game this year. So I, I think that what he was able to do with that group, how he was able to, to find ways to, to help keep the Jets in games and win games because of the – uh, struggles that they were having on offense and you can blame whatever you want to blame on offense but because of those failures I think was was you know when Greg Williams showed up he had that reputation of a genius and a guru and one of the best defensive minds in the NFL he earned that reputation I think more so than in any other single season in his career with the job that he was able to do despite all of those moving pieces with that Jets defense and and it was it was pretty remarkable to watch I mean when you're finding ways to shut down passing games in today's pass at the NFL with Arthur Marlette, Maurice Kennedy, and, and bless Austin as your corners. I mean, that's something special, man. And, and I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what Williams is able to do next year with potentially a pass rusher in the early rounds of the draft, without a doubt, an infused secondary with talent at corner. And without a doubt, all of those players returning from the injured reserve, like uh, Mosley, like Williamson, if the Jets decide to bring him back to see what he can do with all of those pieces on defense. Because if he was able to work this kind of magic with the decimated, you know, really the island of misfit toys out there, it's going to be pretty fun to watch him him work with all of his tools at his disposal. Because this year was was something else in terms of, of what he was able to do defensively. And, and the Jets got to be happy with what he was able to, what he was able to do. I mean, he earned Every one, every penny that the Jets paid him, he earned it this year. I think there's plenty of confidence all around as far as Greg Williams goes from the fan base, from the organization, and all of that. Now, Adam Gase, it's it's an interesting situation because um, this is a fan base that I don't feel like ever embraced Gase. And if they'd gotten off to a great start, maybe they would have come around, but they didn't. They were one and seven, and I think a lot of people at that point just kind of turned the page. So now we head into 2020, and this coaching staff's going to be back. Um, other than start the season five and zero, oh, you know what can Adam Gase do to to kind of you know turn around that negativity because you can have confidence in Greg Williams, but if if nobody thinks the head coach is getting the job done, even if you're going six and two in the second half, um, I know that at the end of the day the organization probably doesn't care what the fans think as long as they're confident in Adam Gase, but it does create kind of this dark cloud around things if there's all that negativity out there about the head coach. So how do they fix that? I, I honestly don't know, man. I mean, I would think that, that probably Sam Darnold's development and maturation in, into a bona fide star, top tier, top five player would be one way. I think the offense averaging 24 to 28 points a game or more would be one way. I mean, it's kind of funny because usually you just say winning, right? Like winning cures all. 
winning will make everything better. Well, the Jets went six and two the second <laughs> half of the year, and 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 that just riled fans up more because the offense wasn't performing. So it was Greg Williams was the reason they were winning, not Adam Gase. And Adam Gase deserved no credit at all for the the team and all that stuff. So I think it's it's going to come down to scoring and and Sam Darnold because what you had hoped this season would end with, and, and I know that the Jets wanted playoffs and, and all that stuff, and that would have been great to see if you were a fan. But more than anything else, you just wanted to see Sam Darnold end this year as a bona fide, no doubt, franchise quarterback, top tier player, all pro, going to be an all pro, just just dominant guy. You know, you wanted to feel about Darnold what you felt about Pat Mahomes after a year and Carson went or after two years, I'm sorry, and Carson Wentz after two years and Jared Goff after two years and Deshaun Watson after two years. And you, to put it bluntly, you, you don't, you know, you know that Sam Darnold is not a bust. He's not. He is not a bust. He can play in the NFL, but you don't necessarily, and you know he's going to get a second contract from the Jets, but you don't necessarily know is, is this guy a top tier, top five player? You just don't know that yet. And, and he, because he just didn't make that sizable of a jump. He did improve in every statistical category. He is a better player this year than he was his rookie season, but he's not necessarily the guy that you're, undeniably know is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. There are pieces there. There are flashes of brilliance, but he just didn't necessarily take that jump. And when we met Adam Gase and when we talked to Adam Gase, you know, at his end of season press conference, I kind of asked him if the, the offensive lines at times ineptitude played a role in Sam Darnold, not progressing as much as he potentially could have in year two. And, and he didn't put all that on the offensive line, but he, but he said that, you know, it, it didn't help. It, it was exact quote was that it didn't help. He didn't know if it was the reason why, but, but it certainly didn't help. So I think if the Jets can get some more talent in there uh, on, you know, at receiver, uh, if they can fix that offensive line to, to at least get the group to an average to slightly above average level of play, if they can do things like that, I think think you'll see Sam Darnold take that jump. But I think that played a role in, in a lot of the negativity is that Darnold just didn't take that jump. You can play in the mono offensive line, whatever. But I think for people to really embrace Gase finally, it's going to take Darnold taking that jump. It's going to take the offense scoring a lot of points, and it's going to take the Jets winning games. And, and more than just winning games, you're going to have to have winning games plus one or both of those other things. And if that happens, maybe Gase will be embraced. But Look, I, I think that some of the criticism of Gase, though, is warranted. You know, I mean, I don't think you can rip him apart and say he sucks because he wasn't able to, to have this elite level offensive success without his starting quarterback for a month and with the state of the offensive line, without some playmakers and the injuries and yada, yada, yada. But what I think still needs to be seen and, and begs to be questioned and, and what I don't necessarily know is the case is that I don't know if. Adam Gase is a guy who builds a system around his players or if he's a guy that needs certain players to fit his system because Gase's system does work. You've seen it happen. You've seen it work with Peyton Manning and the Broncos. You saw it work for a year with uh, Jay Cutler and the Bears. You saw it work for a season with Ryan Tannehill and the Dolphins when they won 10 games and got to the playoffs. But I don't necessarily know yet if he's a guy that is, like I said, builds his system around his players as far as need or if he needs his players for his systems. And when you build a system around your players, well, that's a sign of a great coach. It's you can work with anyone. You can constantly make things work. 
the other way you can still have success, but you're not necessarily in the upper echelon of coaches. And from what I've seen from Gase this year, I don't necessarily know which he is. And, and what I'd be trending towards is that he needs specific players to make his system work. And I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing, but you know, it's, it's, there, there's reason to question Gase exiting this year. The Jets were never going to fire him. It would have never made sense to fire him. But you do exit this season still kind of wishing you saw a little bit more. Yeah, you certainly do. I think that's a, a fair way of putting it, and, and maybe the, the future will be brighter. We'll see. 2020 is certainly going to be telling, and I think the leash uh, certainly will will tighten up a little bit um, as oh, yeah. far as Adam Gase goes uh, from, from day one. Yes. And uh, we got to talk about this Bell situation, which just didn't need to be anything, Connor, and it became this big thing. Uh, let's set it up with some audio, and then we will um, we'll talk about it a little bit. It started on Monday. Gase was asked about Bell. Um, you know, as far as Bell's future with the team returning and all of that. And this was Adam Gase's response about Le'Veon Bell. He's under contract for three more years. You can ask Joe tomorrow. Do you want him back? You can ask Joe tomorrow. I'm not the personnel. I'm not charge personnel. All right, so Adam Gase said, ask Joe about it on Tuesday. So, you know, the media did just that. So here's Joe Douglas's response as far as Le'Veon Bell goes. Le'Veon, my personal experience with Le'Veon has been very positive. Um, he's done everything we've asked him to do uh, as, a, as a person, as a teammate. Um, I touched on it last time I talked to you guys. Um, he's one of our best workers. He's, he's one of our best teammates. He's, he connects and engages with everybody. So... You know, I, I'm, I can't say enough positive things about Le'Veon. So you won't entertain trading him? You know, like I said before, uh, if teams do call, I'm going to listen. How that, how those conversations go, I mean, no, I can't, I can't speak to that. That's hypothetical. But you know, when teams call, I will listen. So to me, Connor, um, the right answer from Adam Gase was, "We love Le'Veon Bell. We we want him to be a big part of our future. Yada yada yada. That's it." But instead, it becomes a two-day story that was completely unnecessary. Um, he was clearly bothered by the question. So just give us some insight into why this went the way it did. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be as politically correct as as i can and and what i how to describe the situation and, and kind of provide some background on it but um gase was annoyed at the person that was asking the question and what he was trying to do um or i shouldn't say trying to do but what he ended up doing was he was taking out his anger on a specific person um, in his question about Bell. And by trying to be short and trying to show that, that he was pissed off and angry at the person, he ended up providing the worst possible optic on one of his best players and the future of that player within the offense. If you go back and you listen to anything that Gase has said about Le'Veon Bell throughout the course of this season, if you go back and you look at the other things that Gase said about Le'Veon Bell, when asked about Le'Veon Bell by anyone other than that particular person who he's annoyed with, his answers are entirely different. I mean, in that same exact press conference, he went into great detail about how a couple of weeks ago he sat down with Le'Veon Bell and he and Le'Veon Bell went over all of the things that Bell did successfully in Pittsburgh. And they went over how the Jets can better implement those things that he did successfully with the Steelers into the Jets offensive game plan in 2020. 
that was in the same exact press conference as go ask Joe, I don't control personnel. So what it, it what Gase, what happened was, was kind of what I said is that Gase was angry at one particular person. That particular person asked him a question and he showed his anger in the worst possible way. Gase needs to be better than that. That is a fact. I wrote that in, in a story on, you know, kind of summing up baggy day, which is when Gase talked. He cannot let his anger get the best of him. He should not have done it. It was unprofessional by him, I think, to some extent, because as the head coach of a team, you need to be even keel. You need to have a thick skin and you can't let people get under it. And you certainly can't, if they do get under your skin, you can't let them and everyone else know that they got under your skin. So I think what ended up in translation is how Gase really does feel about Bell, what his stance is on Bell moving forward. And also this little tidbit, even if the Jets want to trade Bell, it's going to be very difficult for them to trade Bell because there is no team in the NFL right now that is going to be willing to acquire Bell coming off arguably, or no, not arguably, statistically the worst season of his career, a year in which he did not run for a thousand yards, a year in which he scored just three rushing touchdowns and a year in which he averaged 3.2 yards a carry. No one is going to be willing to trade for that, give up any any legitimate draft pick for that when you're thinking about a fourth or a fifth round pick, because that's probably all you're going to get for him anyway, unless the Jets are willing to pay a large portion of his base salary in 2020. It's because the way that, that NFL contracts are, are built, for, for those of, of you that don't know, is that when a, a team hands a player out a contract, you have bonuses, you have a base salary. When a team gives a player a, a, a contract, the signing bonus is what the the original team that signs him is always on the hook for that signing bonus. That's what they need to pay. So when you see a team get a a player get a thirty million dollars signing bonus or a fifteen million dollars signing bonus or whatever, that's what the current team is on the hook for, no matter what. So if they end up trading that player, well, everything else, the base salary, workout bonuses, if he reports on this day, bonuses, all those things, the new team picks up. And the old team has a signing bonus. Well, with the Jets, they only gave Bell an $8 million signing bonus, which is then prorated throughout the four-year deal that he signed. So after this year, the, the Jets were to trade Le'Veon Bell. They're technically only on the hook for $6 million, the $6 million remaining of his signing bonus. The team that trades for him acquires every other penny of that deal. Because of Bell's off year, because of his struggles and the fact he's going to be 28 years old, no team is going to be willing to absorb that contract and give the Jets a notable pick. So if the Jets really do want to trade Le'Veon Bell, right, if the Jets really do want to give him to someone else and have, you know, uh, give us a draft pick back, they're going to have to get on the hook for a good portion, if not all, of his 2020 base salary. From what I understand, that's not something that Joe Douglas is going to want to do. So if Joe Douglas isn't willing to pay basically for Le'Veon Bell to play for somebody else. And if he's not willing to deal Le'Veon Bell, unless he gets back a pick that can actually help the team in the rebuild, which even at best case scenario is not going to be anything more than a fourth or a fifth round selection. Le'Veon Bell is going to return to the Jets in 2020. And then they can look to explore him in 2021 when his base salary is unguaranteed, because that's the thing is that the 2020 base salary is entirely guaranteed. So he's going to get that money no matter what. So uh, in all likelihood, Bell is going to be back 
in 2020, which means that Gase, which from my understanding, he was going to reach out to Bell and, and kind of clear the air and let him know what happened during that press conference. Gase is going to have to clear the air if he hasn't done so already and, and let uh, Bell know what happened. And they want him back in 2020 because you don't want to have him be disgruntled. and You don't want to have this thing uh, get ugly. Yeah, and it's after the stuff happened at the trade deadline. And Bell actually— yeah. Oh, real um, quick. The, yeah, the, the other thing, obviously, that could happen, too, is that Le'Veon Bell could agree to restructure his contract and give back guaranteed money and take a lower uh, base salary. But considering the fact he held out an entire year to get this contract from, get this contract, and, and then eventually get the contract from the Jets, the odds that he's going to take less money or agree to renegotiate his deal are, is basically slim to none. Yeah, there's a reason he he got to the point where he did. And and he did respond on Twitter to one of the tweets about the audio. Um, so something definitely has to do, be done to reach out to uh, to Bell to, to iron it all out. Um, so that's where we're at. Um, we're going to obviously have time here on the podcast going forward to get into how this team sets up with the draft and, and money to spend this offseason, the schedule, all that stuff as we go through the offseason. All right, before we put an end to this podcast, though, we have to put uh, together the final press box food power rankings of the season it's time for the press box food power rankings get in my belly Connor, you've been to Buffalo before. You went back there, and the Bills stepping up. A lot of teams this season have kind of risen through the rankings a little bit, and Buffalo, again, stepping up a little bit. Not a huge leap, but uh, the Bills brought their best for the Jets, which not everybody can say. Yeah, I'll, I'll bump them up from, from 14 to 12 because there were uh, some slight improvements to the overall spread. Now, now the thing about Buffalo that, that a lot of people need to realize about that that new Air field press box is that they wow you with the best window dressing and just abundance of food that you can imagine. I mean, they give you uh, food before the game. They give you it during the game. They give it after you. There's, there's uh, a cooler in there after the game if you want to grab a beer for the road. I mean, they, they, they just load you up with absurd, copious amounts of food. But the thing that I always remind people when they when they walk in there for the first time or when they see the spread, they're like, wow, oh my God, look at all the food that they have. Look how much is here. Look how much is here. Is to taste it first. Is to try it first. Because while the, the press box food in Buffalo, there's a lot of it, the quality isn't really all that great so they had and and this is all up on my instagram you can go see it at connor underscore j underscore hughes is that they had a huge wall of of uh big giant philly pretzels and cheese and a crock pot they had a candy station uh they had pastries and coffee they had breakfast foods that you know your scrambled eggs your sausages your bacon all this kinds of stuff they had a waffle stand and and they had french toast sticks and they had uh pre-made pancakes and all that stuff but when you go and you actually taste everything, none of it really is all that good. You kind of eat it and you're like, huh, that wasn't bad, but I'm not so sure. I'm happy I just consumed all those calories. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of food and spread that you're looking at there at Buffalo. And it was the same case this year. Now, what I will say is that the scrambled eggs that they had were a legitimate improvement from last year. They they were they were actual scrambled eggs. They were tasty. Last year, they had like egg cubes, which were just jello, disgusting slop. And I'm like, still, I don't even know what it actually was because I don't know if it was actually eggs. But the scrambled eggs this year were pretty good. 
Uh, the beef on Weck this year that they gave at halftime was pretty good, which for those who understand, it's just basically roast beef on a sandwich, kind of salty, but then they have like this sauce with it that's pretty good. You put some horseradish on it, it's, it's tasty. The wings last year were like the kind, the frozen wings that you can buy at ShopRite that are baked and then soggy, but this year they were actually pretty crispy. Little mild, need a little bit more hot sauce, but they weren't bad. Uh, so the food generally was a step up, but still it wasn't really all impressive. Did love the waffle station. The waffle station was pretty good. Like you made your own waffles. That was tasty. A nice little breakfast dish there because I didn't eat before I got to the stadium. So uh, overall, it was a slight improvement for Buffalo, 14 to 12. You, you can't really uh, you can't really rip them too bad for that. But uh, it's still the same that it is every year. There's so much food. They probably give you more food than any other press box in the NFL. But none of it really is all that great. So slight improvement, 14 to 12, not bad. And uh, next year will be the fun one, man. I can't wait for it. Obviously, the Jets schedule solidified. So there's going to be a lot of new trips to to add to the press box food power rankings. Obviously, two to L.A., Seattle, a return trip to KC. Looking forward to that one. So uh, it'll be fun. It was an effective and efficient year for the uh, 2019 press box food power rankings. And I'm looking forward to uh, adjusting some rankings and adding a few new ones on there in 2020. I sent this to you on Slack, but wanted to mention it on the podcast too. Mark Caboli, our Steelers reporter, uh, they were obviously in Baltimore this week for Week 17 Steelers at Ravens, and he pointed out going into the week that he's gone to Baltimore every year for however many years he's covered the Steelers, and they've always had crab cakes every single year. And they didn't have it for the Jets. I, I don't yeah. think it's personal to you, Connor. I think it's it's more the the status of that game. But um, but yeah, it's got to hurt a little bit, right? Yeah, the crab cakes were sad because that's I had been told that from like that was probably the most disappointing. That yeah, that was the most disappointing part of the 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 rankings this year was that I had been told by so many people that oh you're getting crab cakes in Baltimore, crab cakes in Baltimore, crab cakes in Baltimore, and I get there. And there are no crab cakes. So everything was kind of fine in Baltimore. But if they actually had crab cakes, you're talking about a potential jump, maybe in the top five. And, and instead, they just didn't make that form of a leap, uh, like I said, just because they didn't have them. So uh, that was probably the, the most upsetting portion. And then the big the big surprise was Washington, right? I mean, that was known as a complete dump for years. I, I mean, literally, a, 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 that was like a brown bag. That was a brown bag press box. Like, you brought your food to that press box because you didn't want to dare – temp the punishment your stomach would taste take by tasting that food there so you brought your own and and i had heard from somebody that actually works with the redskins that they had quote unquote done it up for new york so i mean we had the cinnabons the guy fietti chicken at halftime i mean it was a legitimate top 10 press box which is why we put him into the top 10 and the wild and crazy thing was that after i ranked it and put the pictures up of the food and all that stuff is that the new york giants actually went there and apparently the food that they gave the Giants was immediately right back to the cellar of just <laughs> slop that had been there for years. So they did it up for us, got that boost in the rankings into the top 10, and then just came crashing down as soon as we left. So the, the Redskins are one of the teams that are kind of in the Jets' rotation of preseason opponents because they're sort of close for a road trip. We might be back there next year uh, as the media. So I'm, I'm curious if there's another good press box spread there or if they're going to go right back down to the cellar because of how much they struggle. So I'm, I'm very much intrigued to see how that works out. Yeah, you got to back it up for sure. All right, well, it's been a lot of fun this season doing the podcast. We're going to continue to do it throughout the off season, but a little bit of a slower pace. There won't be two episodes a week. Um, a lot of weeks we will have an episode. Um, if nothing's going on, maybe we skip a week here or there, but obviously a lot to get to. The draft's coming up. There's the combine and, and all the fun stuff around the off season in the NFL, which has become, a, a, as Connor knows, 
a year-round sport to cover, the New York Jets being a big part of that. So, Connor, it's been fun, and we'll keep going here in the offseason. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Like I said, you'll, we'll, I'll be at the Senior Bowl this year, uh, Combine and then owners' meetings again, so I'm sure that'll turn up some content, and we'll be able to uh, to talk about that. Obviously, it's going to be an eventful one for the Jets. They're going to have 60 to $80 million in cap space. Uh, I think it's five picks within the first four rounds of the draft, so – uh, Joe Douglas has the pieces to try to sculpt this team into a into a playoff contender. Snap that uh, that that nine year playoff drought the Jets are on. So uh, this year certainly wasn't the one that that I know Jet fans expected. It's not the one the Jets expected as a team. But I do genuinely believe that that that, that this team is going to have a bright future. I mean, I think Sam Darnold's going to be a franchise quarterback. I think he's the real deal. And once he reaches that, and once he gets to that level, everything else is so much easier. Because when you got a quarterback in the league, you got everything, man. And I know. There's still some uh, I know there's still some steps that kid needs to take, but when he takes them, he'll be pretty good. And and who knows when that happens, maybe the Jets uh, will be one of these teams that year after year we're not ending the podcast in week 17. But that's just when the real season is uh, is starting up. Yeah, it's been a crazy week across the NFL and the football fact check with Dave Damashek has you covered on all the firings across the league, none of which were with the Jets for a change. On Monday's episode, he breaks down which destinations are most desirable and how NFL playoff teams should actually be seated. That's the football fact check podcast right here on The Athletic. Make sure you follow Connor on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Um, And if you're looking for that late Christmas present, you can still get it 50% off on a lot of subscriptions this week. But go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast to save on a subscription here at The Athletic. Uh, Thanks to Marissa Morris, our producer, as always. And we will talk to you again next week with more on this Jets offseason.